Good to see you guys. Glad you're with us this morning. We're going to go right back to our passage in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, i got to tell you, I've spent so much time in this chapter this week. I'm just My heart is full, and I've got a lot of things that's just rolling around in my mind and heart that I want to share with you. I'm not going to get to share it all, but maybe the Lord will give us grace that we'll, we'll, get the, we'll glean off the top here and just kind of... Uh, uh, rejoice in this new calling he's given to us, this brand new mandate that we have um, to be ambassadors, uh, to be ambassadors representing Christ. And it kind of gives definition to what it means to live a Christian life. Now, I, I try to think about how do I gain your attention this morning? How do I, how do I get you to tune into the passage, into the message in front of us this morning? And I, I'm not really sure how I could do that for everybody, except to say that if you're struggling with your purpose in life, if you want to know why it is you're here left on this earth to live, why it is that God saved you and has now uh, uh, has uh, given you this opportunity to live, his, live your life for him, it's because of this very reason listed for us in this passage that you have been given a, a brand new task, a new task to fulfill, to be one who has been first reconciled to your God and, and a restored relationship with him. Now you are tasked with the, the, the ability to proclaim the same message of reconciliation to those around you. In relationships, every relationship that you have is now redefined in light of this new relationship you have with God. So uh, now this is not just a message to ministers and people who would endeavor to stand and publicly proclaim the word. This is for every Christian that we all have the opportunity to become proclaimers of a reconciliation, this, this word of reconciliation. And... Um, I want to, I want this these five transforming truths to help you turn from being a contentious combatant against the against those around you, uh, perhaps, and turn you into a Christ-like conciliator, a Christ-like reconciler. This this message that Paul proclaims softens your heart towards those around you who are at odds with you, or in, who are in, who are in uh, conflict with you. Last summer, we did the whole Peacemaker series. This passage features prominently in that in Ken Sandy's book because it is so central to understanding our role in this world. All right? when, when we look at the world around us, we shouldn't see our enemies. We should see a mission field. We should see people lost and, and blinded by, the, by sin and uh, at war within themselves even and at war against God. And that you just happen to be the unfortunate... Uh, representative of, of, of Christ that gets the brunt of the attacks. But uh, the reality is, just as Paul's trying to give a defense for his ministry here, he's taking some unfair criticisms, he's being attacked personally. We looked last week at how he defended that marvelously with hum- humility and grace and, and calmness of spirit, and yet didn't come off defensive, he came off interested in their benefit to serve them in so many ways. Uh, that's the approach we want to take when we are uh, um, attacked for um, our, our approach or attacked for our message or people assign, our, assign certain motives to us. We want to make sure that uh, we have a similar approach. We have the same tone, the same, the same love, the same fear of God in our hearts. We looked at these things together last week. And uh, now we're going to look at the last part of the chapter 5 because Paul kind of pivots and no longer is talking about his personal ministry, but now he's going to talk about how this ministry is given to every believer, every Christian. 
And so there'll be something here for us to, to hear, no doubt. Let's look at this passage together, and we'll, uh, we'll read this. Read, read this together. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, picking up at verse 16, it says, Therefore, from now on, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the basic structure we're going to look at through this text as we take each verse in its in its proper sequence here is five transfer, transformations five transformations that change us into agents of reconciliation if you want to look at them in, in review here uh before we get it well let's look at the passage before it in review in just a minute five transformations in other words as a christian things transform things changed about your perspective on on all of life if you come to christ Trust me, your whole life is about to be upended. It's going to be <laughs> totally turned on its head. Uh, there's no one who comes to Christ who leaves that meeting unchanged. Okay? A transformed life begins. A new creature is formed. And brand new things start to come into place. Um, and Paul's going to highlight these five transformations that turn us from being combatants to conciliators, to being reconciled people who are now reconcilers. Okay? And we're going to look at these five things. The five things are we receive a new mindset. We receive then a new nature. And then we are beholding a new reality. And then we get a new mandate. And finally, God gives us a new assignment. All these things are brand new transformation things that come as a result of being in Christ. Now, these are going to have practical ramifications for how you conduct yourself in this world as a Christian, which we'll get into so we're in the second section of Paul's second letter of the Corinthians where he's delicately answering these unfair criticisms by these elite teachers who have lodged these against him and his ministry. Last time we observed that there were four, or rather five essential convictions that Paul practiced and determined that helped him learn how to respond when he's personally attacked. And along the way, Paul's been explaining these motivations for reconciling people for his ministry of reconciliation. And so we see in chapter 5, uh, chapter five and verse 11, we saw that it was the fear of God. The fear of God that caused him to persuade men. He had this deep and abiding reverence for the Lord. Later in verse 11, he says that uh, my life is made manifest to God. So the second thing that's motivating him is that he wants a life of integrity. A life that, is, uh, that shows that his, his, his purposes and his motivations are in alignment before the face of God. So as God's evaluating his life, he's, he's seen to be consistent. And that leads, leads to the third one, a consistent life. He wants a life consistent not just in the eyes of God, but one in front of the Corinthians. 
who knew him well because he'd spent 18 months with them, right? So he had been there and they're under their watch. And uh, he seeks to persuade them in hopes that the Corinthians will see the consistency between his teaching and his example. Now, there's a problem, isn't there, when a Christian might teach something and live completely different, right? That can be spotted quite quickly. So Paul's like, listen, the, 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 the great credential that I have that should earn me, the, earn me the opportunity to speak to you with credibility is that my life and my teaching are the same. Uh, they're not two different things. I'm teaching you and living another way. Then he says, the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for me compels me. It's controlling my, my, my behavior, my conduct among you. And so he speaks of the fact that Christ's love is controlling his ministry philosophy and his practice. And then lastly, as we ended last week, we talked about his union with Christ, which is a constant theme. Mark and I were talking about Romans 6 being another beautiful case in which he explains how his life is so wrapped up in Christ that when Christ died, he also died with him. There was a sense in which we were joined in union and connection with Christ on that cross, that those who believe in Christ, their, Christ's death was our death as well, that something died, that, 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 this, that this death to self, uh, self occurs, okay? And that we were buried with him and we raised new life, a new qualitatively different kind of life occurs as a result. And so this is what he's speaking of in this union with Christ uh, section at chapter four, uh, verses 14 and 15. So these are all powerful motivators for ministry of reconciliation. And it isn't difficult to see that if these are convictional truths that are fully grasped in the heart, that, that that's why Paul would be propelled to face hardships and difficulties to ministry with difficult people. If you don't con- grasp these convictions, you will not deal well with difficult people. You will be quickly discouraged, to be quickly self-focused, to be quickly trying to evaluate things and size people up according to the flesh. And you'll start to get put off, and you start to get angry, and you start to get exasperated, and you just try to cut off relationships, and you write people off, and you sever fellowship because you don't have these anchoring convictions. So Paul's exposing these for us because he wants us to not have a deficient or absent convictions on these matters. You have to have the fear of God. You have to have a life of integrity. You have to have a consistent life. You've got to have all of these things, a compelling understanding of Christ's compelling love for you, and you have to have this union with Christ. You have to understand it. So all these characteristic convictions that Paul is telling us about grew in the midst of difficulty that he faced. In fact, each difficulty that he faced only served to drive the stake of these convictions deeper into his own soul. One of the... Uh, one of the favorite shows that we watch as, as a family is we, we love this TV show called Forge in the Fire. I don't know if you ever see this show. It's on the History Channel. It's all about these bladesmiths who are working in the, bla- in the smith shop, and they're taking like raw metal, and they're heating it up in a white-hot forge. And they take this, this misshapen piece of metal, and they just hammer it out into, it's, into the shape of a blade. And then they, once they get that thing blazing white-hot, they take the metal that's still mellable and still soft, and they plunge it into a crucible of oil. And it's awesome, because when they do that, they pull it out, and it's like this big plume of fire comes out. And when it comes out, that blade is so hard, it cannot be destroyed. It's like, it's amazing how it takes the soft metal and it hardens it into something that's just uh, useful then. Well, just as soft metals made harder, thousands of times harder, by first heating it in a white-hot forge and then quenching it in this oil, so unrelenting hardships can serve to harden your convictions in the crucible of trial. 
to change metaphors a little bit, uh, convictions are galvanized in trials in significant ways that you cannot achieve apart from hardship. Why does God allow you to endure hardship? Because he's forming up strength and convictions. Okay? He wants you to look back at these things and say, this is motivating me. I'm not motivated for my comfort. I'm not motivated for my, my happiness. I'm not motivated for just to have a, some semblance of peace. I am motivated because I'm driven by the fear of the Lord, by a life of integrity, by I want to be a life that's consistent among the people I serve and minister. And I want to have a life compelled by the love of Christ. And so he goes on to say all of these things. As we look together, verse 16, he continues this idea of motivation for ministry. And he turns the corner and he transitions from these personal convictions. And he begins to show us that we too have a ministry of reconciliation. In fact, Paul's going to speak uh, five different times. He uses the same word, which clearly helps, helps us out as Bible students, right? We're, we're left in no why we're not, we're not left wondering what's he ta- what's he getting at Paul because he's going to mention his theme five times. Uh, clearly, he's making the theme one of reconciliation. He wants us to understand that God is mediating or bringing about a reconciliation to men in a very surprising way. In fact, why do I say surprising? Because God doesn't have to reconcile with anybody. It wasn't, he's not obligated internally to set to right anything. He didn't do anything wrong. Sin, aren't we as sinners, we, as sinners, we are hostiles. We are enemies of God. And the violation of his law and breaking of his commands demands perfect justice, fires of an eternal hell, and final damnation and misery. That's what we deserve. That's what we are owed. That's what, we're obligated, that's what God is obligated to give us. God is well within his rights to just simply adjudicate the case against us and sentence us to eternal darkness and torment forever. Even if we had desired any kind of reconciliation with God, it would have been disregarded because we are the ones who have sinned. And we have no claim for God's reconciliation. But God, of his own will, of his own accord, in his free, loving kindness, mercy, and grace, in his infinite mercy, he authored a way of reconciliation to him. You know, it's taken for granted that God is unconditionally loving. We hear people say that all the time. God's a God of unconditional love. And because we take that for granted, or we think that that's what the Bible teaches, we aren't surprised by his act of reconciliation here, where we ought to be. We must remember that God is under no obligation to show love to any of those who rebel against him. He's not obligated to. He is not under any compulsion to do anything but to judge and to punish and to, set, to mete out perfect justice towards those who break his law. Remember, John, the Gospel of John was, has told us that God loves Christ and that his own, Christ is only begotten and that only those who love Christ is, are those who the Father loves. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is one who loves me. And then listen to this. And he who loves me, Christ, will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Two verses later, in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Well, if the Father loves any, everyone anyway, that seems, like an un, that seems like an unnecessary statement. John is saying that 
Loving Christ is what turns the heart of the Father towards you. God's love for, the, for, for believers is not the same as his love generally for all, all, of his, all of his creation. He has a special love for his believers, for his children. For John 16, 27, if the Father loves you, for the Father loves, sorry, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come forth from the Father. That sounds like a condition. The Father loves you on the condition that you love Christ. That's what he's saying here in this, in this passage. John 17, 23. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, and that the world may know that you sent me, and listen to this, and love them even as you have loved me. The Father loves you as he loves Christ. See, your connection to Christ is what, is what turns the Father's heart to you. And whoever keeps his word in him, the love of the Father is truly, truly perfected. So the only way there is to be any reconciliation is not because God is just God is just going to owe that to you. The, the reason that you have reconciliation is because the Father initiated it in Christ. Christ is the means by which his heart is turned towards us. And the cross of Christ is God's olive branch and offer of bringing men back to a right relationship with him. And that should surprise us because it was totally a total undeserved and un unexpected thing so paul will now explain how it is that christians are transformed into agents of reconciliation through five transformative truths and the implications these are massive these truths reorient all of your preconceptions about the life of christians should be okay when you understand these truths it's going to open up an entirely new perspective of your life and every relationship you have is going to be seen in a different light okay you're going to see the purpose for why you're here, purpose why God has given you a, a ministry. And so you're going to answer all these questions. What is your role in the world? If you're a Christian, you're an emissary for God. You are to communicate God's terms of peace. You represent Christ. You appeal to others on his behalf. And if someone were to ask you today, what's your ministry? If I, someone says, hey, what's your ministry here at Timberlake Baptist Church? Um, the proper answer probably wouldn't be what's your what's your job title or your Sunday Sunday service responsibility your ministry isn't some vocation or some location that you live you live in your ministry isn't respective or sorry isn't representative of what you do only within the confines of your church walls your ministry extends to all of your relationships your ministry is your marriage your children your grandchildren your co-workers and even your enemies every relationship you have is a ministry of reconciliation. And that's what Paul's getting at here. We are seeking to bring God's word of reconciliation and all of its implications to bear in all of our relationships. If you want to know what your chief ministry is, you can say, I'm a reconciler. I'm someone who's desiring to bring people to peace with God, right restoration with God through, through repentance of sin and trust and faith in Christ Jesus that they can be made whole and right with God. I want to be a peacemaker in that sense through the gospel. So this realization inspires a new perspective. It's a whole new paradigm, a complete reconceptualization of what you think your life's all about. It reframes every relationship you have. It gives clarity to the goals of your life. And so we look at this first first of five transformations. Oh, I 
I already looked at this earlier with you, but the first one is the first transformation that you undergo in order for you to get this perspective is you've got to get a new mindset, a brand new mindset. Now, the reason I say mindset, because look here in verse 16. Verse 16 and 17, both, it's curious, Paul uses four, let's count, one, two, three, four, four different words in quick succession that are all verbs or, or nouns of perception. In other words, he's talking about knowing something or understanding something or seeing something by, by, by which he's talking about this brand new mindset, this new perspective has opened up to him as he looks at his ministry. He's using, uh, it's clear that something has changed in Paul's worldview. And as a result of his death and new life into Christ. Oh, that, this laptop's been giving me struggles. Okay, I'll, I'll bring it up in a minute. All right, so Paul's asserting that something's shifted. What is shifting here? Well, if you look at verse 16 with me. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. What is he talking about here? Well, Paul's saying, as I look at, the, at my world around me, I'm not going to recognize or know or have regard for anyone just according to the flesh. What he's saying here is uh, he's reckoned himself dead, dead, unto, dead unto himself and alive unto Christ. That means the way he perceives people, the way he looks at those who would make claims and criticisms against his ministry, are not going to hold a controlling sway over his approach to life. He's not going to be governed and controlled by the fear of what others say, what other men think. Um, This is pretty important for us because we are often very much controlled by the opinions of others and what they think of us. If people are out of sorts with us. People think that uh, people criticize us. We are concerned. They would be pleased with us. And we, a lot of our actions and a lot of our decision-making is governed by what are people going to think, you know? Paul's not letting that be a dictate in his life or how he's, how he's running his life. So, give me just a moment here. I'll put us back in, back in the show here. Um, so, number one, notice, he said, notice what he's talking about here is a new mindset that is, number one, determinative and by that i look at verse 16 he says from now on from now on that sounds like he's making a resolution right here right something in his heart is is shifting here and he's making this resolution from now on and then he goes on and says even though in verse 16 we have known christ according to the flesh yet now we know him in this way no longer so there's yet now and there's from now on okay both of those verses both of those things indicate something is something is coming to coming to solidify in his heart and mind. He's determined and resolved that the way he's perceived things according to the flesh cannot continue any longer. He's not going to be doing, he's not going to be held captive to the fear of men. He's not going to allow it to influence his ministry calculus or whether he was going to live faithfully for Christ. You've got to make that determination too. You, gotta, you can't let what people think and their opinions of you and their thoughts about whether you're, whether you're being foolish or not, when it comes to living for Christ, be a determining influence of whether you're going to obey, whether you're going to serve, whether you're going to stand out or whether you're going to be singled out or be the oddball uh, who wants to live for Christ. You can't let that. You have to have this same determination from now on. 
Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says that when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went unto Arabia and returned them again, returned again unto Damascus. When the Lord called him, he didn't spend time taking a poll on whether that was a popular thing for him to do. He didn't even go to the apostles, he says. It was clear that when the Lord summoned him, the Lord called him, that it was clear that uh, it was determinative for him. Um, and not only that, is devoted. He says, from now on, we recognize. And that is to say, there, there had been an intentional shift in loyalties away from men and unto Christ. Let's see if I can bring up my little list here for you so you can track along with me what I'm saying. Okay. So, not only was it A, it was determinative. Letter B, it was devoted. And by that I mean his devotion shifted. No longer was he seeking to please men, but unto Christ. Galatians 1.15 tells us that. He went to serve, he was serving Christ. He described all the claims of the human authorities which were commanding his attention to services, but none of that mattered anymore. And he wasn't sizing up people. People weren't big in his perspective any longer. God was big, and men were rather small. We aren't evaluating people using the same superficial fleshly criteria based on outward appearances because the fear of men has been totally eclipsed, totally replaced, totally supplanted by a fear of God. And then it was discerned, he says here. We recognize no one according to the flesh. But that, that phrase, according to the flesh, indicates that all of his decisions, his behaviors, his considerations, everything was subject to this new spiritual discernment. He was no longer thinking in terms of that. He was only thinking in terms of, I've been called. I've been called an apostle. I've been called. I've been given a ministry, a commission. And the circumstances I find myself in are providentially and divinely ordained of God. So I, I really have no other obligation but then to serve Christ. And so I'm discerning things from the spiritual perspective. He wasn't committed to operating in obedience to Christ. Under Sorry, he was committed to operating in obedience to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, it was distinctive because he says, this, is, this changed. The last part of verse 16, he says, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, he's referring to that time before the Damascus road. I knew Christ before the, in the flesh. And his perspectives of Christ were completely off base and wrong. He had perceived Christ to be a threat. He perceived Christ to be a, a charlatan and a fraud and uh, someone who's creating trouble in the house of Israel. And he was persecuting those who were followers of Christ. That was his perspective according to the flesh. And yet he declares here there was a distinctive, distinctive change. Yet now henceforth we know him no more. So Paul asserts that something has shifted. Something has completely changed. So, number one, he has a shifted mindset. Okay, a new mindset had to transform for him as he started to look at life. He's no longer looking at it from the standpoint of his flesh. Second thing that had to transform is his nature. Now, I'm not saying these are sequential things. Okay, these are all happening as a package deal. <laughs> I mean, you get a new mindset with the new nature, with the new reality, with all these new things that we're going to talk about today. That all comes together as a package, but I'm breaking it apart because it seems to be that's how Paul is developing it in the passage. Okay, verse 17 is a, a verse you know. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a what? New creature, new creation. This mindset that he has is indicative of this new impartation of a new nature. A new, he's a new creation in Christ. 
And it's not just an intellectual enlightenment. It isn't like he just had this dawning realization of like, wow, you know, I think I want to be a Christian. Just a, became mentally enlightened. That's not what he's talking about here. And he's not talking about a behavioral reformation where he decided to clean up his act. And I'm going to start living my life in a clean way, in a, in a way that people will find respectable. So he's not talking about that kind of thing. He's not talking about just a new identity claim. You know, I once was a follower of uh, Judaism, but now I think I'm going to claim for myself an identity with the Christians. And I'm going to name myself a Christian. A lot of people walking around today, <laughs> you'll meet all the time, who have an identity association with Christianity and don't have the new nature. Paul says, I have a new nature, something that's much more, not less than, but much more than all of this, is when you become a Christian, you become essentially a new being, a new creation in Christ. The person you were, along with your idolatries and your desires, your values, the things that pursued you pursued, the godless ideologies you had, all of that is gone. It goes away. And the things you once loved and treasured in the world those things that characterized your life in rebellion to God, those sinful attitudes that dominated your approach to life, all of that is completely supplanted by this new nature. You begin to love things that Christ loves, his truth, his people, uh, the, the church. You begin to reflect his nature and disposition towards the world. You find yourself reflecting his compassion, his forgiveness, and mercy back towards those people who offend you. Um, when a Christian understands his own condition before God and the magnificent mercy shown to him and forgiveness of his sins, he is reluctant to show anything but that same compassion and mercy and kindness towards those who offend him. When he really grasps the cross, really understands it, you find yourself reflecting back towards those people who hurt you and offend you, the mercy of God. So therefore, as a Christian, you become less and less offendable. <laughs> it's really hard to offend a Christian who understands the cross, okay? Because no one is as bad as you were. <laughs> and from your perspective, that's how you think of things. I was a lost, blind, rebellious sinner. And, and, and what, did I, what claim did I have for right treatment? And yet God gave me undeserved kindness. So anyone who does that to you, you're, you're thinking in terms of like, this is, this is the example that I have to live out Christ's response to this matter. You become less offendable. You become more readily willing to forgive offenses and do it quickly. You're, you don't hold grudges. You don't get retaliatory because you're gripped by the astonishing truth that God should have damned you. And yet he rescued you. Your new nature informed by the gospel, compels you to express the same attitude towards others in a tangible but difficult, <laughs> difficult expressions of God's grace. So God is given his grace in you and through you. In the flesh, you saw Christ perhaps as one of the many tangents of your life. He's one of the things, he's an accessory to your life. He kind of, one of the pieces and parts of your life. But in the spirit, and in Christ, as a Christian, you see Christ as the epicenter of every relationship. Your relationship with Christ now impacts your every relationship you have with a human being on this planet. He's at the center. The connection of, that you have with Christ colors and forms and redefines your perspective of all your relationship problems. 
when you think about the difficulties of your relationship problems, you can't help but say, Christ is, is informing and coloring and th- my thinking and my approach and my attitudes and my responses and everything I understand about who Christ is comes to the forefront of my mind as I try to engage with these relationship issues so that we solve the relationships as Christians distinctly, distinctly different from what we did before we came to Christ. Is that right? Have you, you understand that? Uh, I, think, I think we understand that, but the practical working of that is lost on us because we get wrapped up in emotions and we get wrapped up in the flesh, okay? We need to recall these things to our heart and mind. Okay. Sir? So, if you don't mind, like to just yeah. add a Please do. Yeah. Just for us, because we're a family class, we have children, we have grandchildren, you know, we have friends and neighbors, and so the sincerity of our religion is not the same as the fruit of a new life as determined. So sometimes when people are sincere about their faith, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's fruit in the new life. Because this is determined. You see, now from now on, yep. we don't see anyone from the flesh. We don't, not even Christ right. from the flesh. So the, the part you're talking about is so determined that people forget is that the new life, the fruit of the new life is much different than what a sincere, man-centered religion would provide. And so we, our kids... You know, grow up and they're in Wawanas or third grade or first grade, and they're I love Jesus, you know, and that's that's great. We encourage that. We tell them to keep going, but that's not fruit of some new life. I mean, it was like when new life hits you, it's uh, you're doing something opposite of what you were doing before. In the sense of your worship, your focus, your thought life, like you're saying, the mindset. So, I'm just saying to us, we want to make sure we have understand that that determinant fruit is. Is pretty measurable. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, when we're talking about this, we skim over it too much. That yeah. there is a lot to that to consider, even in our own life. We're saying, wow, is that, is that from the old man or is that from the new man? Is that the new life or is this the old mark? The old mark or the new mark? You know, and it exactly. helps us in our sanctification, our maturity, and our walk. Exactly. One of, the, one of the disadvantages of my teaching it like this is that you don't get the opportunity to stop here and yeah. do a personal assessment of like the things that are coming from you, is that in keeping with this new mindset, a new nature? But they're intended to take this and apply it directly to the relationships you had this week, the conversations, the decisions you're making, things you're doing right now. Uh, brother, you're, you're exactly right. That's that does determine. It is determinative. It does show. It does show whether you're the real thing or not. <laughs> okay, because a lot of this can be sort of manufactured in a moment, but. The nature is the consistent and is a breaking of the sinful patterns, and it's a consistent application of these things in, in practice. And I would also say that I have, I have an article from MacArthur that says proof of salvation. It's 20 years old, and um, he wrote that years ago, but I still use it in counseling because a lot of people still get their religious walk and their, their environmental, cultural Christianity different than this new life. You know, yeah. set us apart when the old is gone and the new is coming for us. So I, I'll give that to anybody who, who totally. emails me and asks for it. I'll make sure I give that to them. Please do yeah. get that article because that's that's what I, that's what this passage does. It kind of highlights for you whether you've just had a have you had just a mental enlightenment, have you had just a behavioral change a little bit, or have you had a true nature has been birthed in you? You're a new creation throughout. Okay, uh, the difference between that. 
a new nature and just a, a little bit of a cleaning up your act is the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between knowing Christ and, uh, and being deceived. Okay? So the point Mark is making here is essential. And I, I, we want everyone to be thoroughly aware of what the Bible is teaching here, what the new nature really looks like. Let's not be deceived or misled in any way. It's a whole, through, a whole person transformation, mindset, nature. And now thirdly, a new, a new reality. A new reality. Uh, in verse 17, he says, the old things have passed away, and now, new, behold, new things have come. The old things have passed away. The old paradigms, the old way of thinking, the old worldviews, the old beliefs that you held on to, that you held on as a lost person. Okay, All that's gone. The old ideas, the old loves, the, only, the old desires. You get the idea. Old patterns of sinful responses. These things were rec- are now recognized as worthless. They're futile and, a, and part of the old fleshly nature that should be rejected. Now, I'm, Paul's not... I want you to see how matter-of-factly Paul just says this. The old thing's gone, the new things have come. As if, and he doesn't mention the struggle that comes with that sometimes. <laughs> he just speaks of it matter-of-factly. And I, I, I don't think he means to minimize that there's a struggle and that people come to Christ and they have baggage and they have issues and they have sinful patterns that we're in the process of breaking and mortifying. That's all reality. And Paul's not dismissing that in this statement. But what he's trying to show is that there's a, there's a beholding. There's a, there's a new reality that comes to bear in your mind. It's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not defending those actions anymore. I'm not defending those decisions. I'm not defending the behaviors. I'm, I see them now as clearly wrong and they're passing away. New things are now coming. So there's a new reality that you perceive with. So you no longer see your enemies as enemies anymore. Well, I'm going to get them back for what they did to me. I'm going to give them what they deserve, a piece of my mind. You know, those things are not part of the new things that have come. Okay? You no longer see enemies as enemies. You see them now as your mission field. You're, you're serving them. You no longer see difficult people as painful annoyances and threats to your peace and safety. They're your ministry. Okay? You no longer see the world as the place where you have comforts and you find your happiness this world is a waypoint on the way to kingdom glories. Okay? So you're understanding things are now new realities are setting in. You no longer see suffering as uh, an unbearable weight. <laughs> suffering is so miserable and so un- I can't bear it any longer. Instead, you see your suffering, like Paul does, that your suffering's working for you an even greater eternal weight in glory. The sufferings you're having here are working for you in eternity. I mean, this is, this is revolutionizing. This is transforming. So you've had a transformed mind. You've got a transformed nature. You've got a transformed reality. And then lastly here, verse 18. Oh, I'm not going to get to all of these, I don't think, today. I'm going to throw these last two up there so you have them because they kind of go together. A new mandate. Now, all these things are from God, he says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's your mandate. You have a task. This is not anything any one of us can just sit back and say, oh, this is great, great teaching. I, I, you, you better not. You better not grasp this intellectually and not practice this. Okay, just saying this. Don't let this be lost on you and just be mental information that comes in and doesn't affect a transformation in the way you think. You have been given a solemn task from God who reconciled you to himself through Christ and gave you the ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry. 
now that you've discovered this, you, you, you have this new mandate. The new mandate is a new ministry. And you have been reconciled to God so that you can do reconciliation for God. That means you don't get to, you don't ha- get to just retaliate when someone offends you or someone comes at you and you don't get to be personally defensive. That's not the mission. That's, not the ta- that's off task. You're joining God's work that he's already begun in the world, his reconciling of the world to himself through Christ. He doesn't urge Christians here. This is, by the way, a very important point. I think I'll make this, la- this and I'll, I'll soon close here. God's task is not, listen to me, his task is not for Christians to pursue a cultural revolution. That's not, he missed an opportunity. If that's what he was trying to tell us, he missed an opportunity right here. He says, you want to know what your ministry is? Your ministry is to instigate social transformation, to aggressively politically engage the world you live in, to build the kingdom of God. He doesn't mandate that Christians undertake the task of inaugurating Christendom and and bringing about millennium conditions into the realm of men. He, he didn't say that here. He didn't say, build me my kingdom. What's that say about the southern border? He doesn't, say, he doesn't say anything about that either. Uh, he missed an opportunity, Paul. Come on. This is where I want to ram every political agenda I have right into that white space, right? You know, I want to have that there. And I'm not saying that isn't important, and that doesn't influence, that's not influenced by what's being taught here. But for Christians, we see that the, the task we're given is primarily, and it must be protected as the task of reconciliation, the gospel proclamation. He, he says here, instead, he tells God, God tells us, he gives, us, gives the ministry of reconciliation. Those who have on behalf of Christ bring the offer of peace and restoration to God through Christ Jesus. God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, counting, not counting their trespasses against them. It's clear that Paul isn't calling us to eventually subdue the world to Christian influence and bring it to the feet of Jesus. That's not what he's calling for here. He's calling for Christian men and women to engage in a ministry of words. That's what he says. Verse, verse 18, he says, um, uh, verse 19, namely that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Words? That's our answer to the problems in this world. Not just any words, okay? The soul-altering gospel message that births people from darkness to light. That's the power of the gospel. And we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation, right? This is not some small little pea shooter when you're fighting the, the challenges of the world. We like to think that the best, the best thing we can do is pull the lever and vote for our candidate, and that's the way we're going to affect the change that this world needs. No, the way you're going to affect the way this world, the affect the change the world needs, is by preaching and teaching the gospel to your neighbors, to your relationships, to your to your children, your grandchildren, to those who God has given you great influence with. So, so be mindful of this. This is this is God's means to to reconcile. Notice that He says in verse, uh, it goes on here. Preach the committed them the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. When God wants to speak to lost people, he's going to use your voice. He's going to use you to make the appeal. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's, that's amazing to me. He's going to use your voice to make the appeal. And then he says, 
we beg you. This is how this is how far we need to be willing to go. If necessary, to beg people, to implore them with tears in our eyes, maybe perhaps, that they would be reconciled to the God, to be turned from their sin, to come to faith in Christ, repentance. Men and women would rather cling to their sin, their autonomy, and their own righteousness rather than turn in repentance. In fact, their message is God's more willing to forgive than we are to seek forgiveness. And so we beg, we plead, and we've been given this assignment as ambassadors. The last thing, I'll just mention this. The ambassador's job in the ancient times, an ambassador was someone who was sent from their host country into a foreign culture. He wasn't to interfere in their policies. He wasn't to change their laws. He wasn't to campaign for their cultural transformation to make it more like the host country. His interests were purely a matter of representation of the country from which he hails and keeping the central interests of his home state in a foreign country. He makes clear the terms that will put the foreign land in good stead, in good relationship with his homeland. And he wisely negotiates with those among those who he dwells to avoid any unpleasant actions, any sanctions, or even perhaps war to come about between the two nations. His work is primarily one of persuading. He persuades men. That's the work of the ambassador, seeking, seeking people to find good relationships with the one whom he represents through Christ. I think you get the point. As we conclude here, let me have a word of prayer with you. Let's ask God to transform how these transformational truths that have a thorough effect on our mindset. We know the nature is there. If you came to Christ, if you're in Christ this morning and you have that new nature, the reality, the way you see things is not from the flesh. You have a spiritual perception of what's going on in the world. This new mandate lies heavy on your arms, on your chest. And you say, Lord, help me be a reconciler, reconciler and help me be the ambassador that you've called me to be. Father, Thank you for these five truths. We just pray that you help us to practice these. These are things we just laid out real easy to explain and preach, but to see how they impact our daily lives, we're going to need your help. We're going to need your Holy Spirit. Help us to see how these things affect our parenting. They affect our marriage. They affect our family lives. They affect our coworker relationships. These things are immediately practicable. Help us to accept this new task you've given us, this new mandate. We pray this. That you give us, help us be faithful, as Christ, as Paul was in this example, and help us now, Lord, as we go into the worship service to follow. Give Pastor Brian grace and clarity as he speaks to us, and we pray this all in Christ's name, Amen.